Hello and welcome back to season two of the Together B2B Marketing Podcast. It's going to be a big one. And to prove that to you today, we have an amazing conversation with John Busby, our CTO, and Katie King. Katie King is a keynote speaker and a consultant. She's recently been appointed by the UK government to the all-party parliamentary group task force for the enterprise adoption of AI. And today we're going to be having a conversation based around her new book, Using Artificial Intelligence in Marketing. to harness AI and maintain a competitive edge. I think you're going to love this one. If you do, please subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating and leave us a comment. Without further preamble, I bring you Katie and John. Where would you say the best example of uh, of artificial intelligence in marketing? What, what, you know, have have you got an example that just says, this has just been amazing? Yeah, loads of really good examples. You're seeing, for example, with um, a brand like TGI Fridays, where in the hospitality space, they're saying, with consent, we have the customer's data. When those diners come into our restaurant now, using AI tools, and they work with um, tech tools like Amperity and a few others, that diner comes in and the you know, the the actual waitress or whoever's like in the store manager at that point knows they're vegan, knows it's their child's birthday, knows they like to order ribs on a Thursday. So what AI is doing is giving us really personalized marketing. And in the book, for example, um, I quote the head of artificial intelligence at Royal Bank of Scotland. And he says, from a marketing point of view, banks and other organizations used to have really sort of homogenous groupings of customers and although we might have had a better um, ability to deal with customers in in the actual bank you know because like particularly older uh, clients want to go into their branch or those branches are closing but actually it's the opposite because now we can be really really personalized so AI is a bit of a misnomer because actually it can give you really pinpoint information it can give that person that salesperson on the phone or that barrister or that medical doctor all of that data that assists them in making the right kind of decisions what you know what's the diagnosis of that cancer or what's the knowledge deep knowledge of that particular customer and not have them passed around you know an organization like a a utility for the past hour on the phone we've got pinpoint knowledge about that particular customer. I think that for marketing, which is actually marketing, sales and customer service in one now. That you know, that augmented data is so powerful. And we see that single view of the customer as being so important to reach that. I think the most powerful statement, and I do like to use this with clients as well, is, you know, today when we open our email, we expect it to be sorted by date, essentially. Um, in the future, artificial intelligence is going to is going to order those based on what's most relevant to us. So I think that that element of personalization is probably one of the most important items that artificial intelligence can achieve. In fact, we're actually applying this to some of our um, partner portals at the moment because we know there are so many different journeys that a, a individual user can take um, that we're applying artificial intelligence and some relatively other simple terms like decision trees and so on to be able to allow 
a, a partner to go through a non-linear onboarding experience because we know everyone's different, but we also we also know that we need to surface content that's most relevant, that's most that's most actionable to them at that moment in time. So absolutely, absolutely, and I think for the biggest thing will be that the thing that most people feared, you know, this is going to take my job. It's not. It's going to reshape your job. And I call it the three D's, the dirty, the dull and the dangerous. <laughs> um, this is just the next level of automation. You know, all of us have been using cloud based solutions now for, you know, five, 10 years. Um, and that next layer of automation of some of the tasks that have been pretty mundane, pretty boring, time consuming, you know, is going to reshape every B2B, every marketeer's job, every public relations professional, digital marketing, but also loads of other industries. And I think that's only, that can only be good. Absolutely. absolutely. It's about just allowing us to spend time on what's what's more important, which is making good content or um, making sure we're targeting the right customers rather than obviously just taking spreadsheets and, and, and analysing data manually. Absolutely. One really interesting, uh, you know, facet from that is this idea of all of a sudden because you've got at your fingertips all this really powerful data these incredible insights marketing becomes the science we always hoped it would become you know we've been very measurable now for many many years haven't we and now it wipes away all of that gut finger in the air side of things so therefore therefore what that means is that somebody relatively junior who knows their way around this tech and can get to grips with the insights actually is as powerful and effectively you could say as strategic potentially as somebody who's been doing marketing for 25 years. So I think it's going to be really interesting how this reshapes the way we remunerate people, um, the way companies structure their agency teams or their internal teams. You know, and I think that's going to be quite a difficult transition, but an op- a great opportunity for a lot of people as well. Hello, Katie, it's Harry. One of the main fears is that people are going to lose their jobs from AI. But actually, I think it's just as scary for most of us to hear that AI is going to be able to tell everyone if we're doing a good one. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you believe the press, I mean, there are some very good quality um, ad, you know, analysts, advisors that are out there. And on the whole, the reports seem to be indicating a net gain in terms of jobs. So I don't think we'll all lose our jobs. I think there will be a major shift and that all jobs, the task, many tasks that we all do will change. Um, and I do, as I say, think it could be a really good opportunity for those people, irrespective of their age, who have the right mindset and who are prepared to be on that journey and continuously learn. And I think it kind of levels the playing field quite a bit and somebody won't be um, promoted on you know their years of experience but actually on merit and they're going to have to continuously you know prove themselves but i think we'll have the right kind of tools to help us do that i i, I really couldn't agree with you more whenever you hire new staff members and i'm sure you go through the same experience in digital marketing is now becoming so much less important i would say it's that mix mix of uh and this is another great TED talk of, of passion and perseverance that really makes the difference. With artificial intelligence, this is such a rapidly moving field. I would say the most important element is we need the ability as humans to be able to learn quickly to understand which item to apply or which algorithm to apply or, or which direction to go in. Um, so it's it. I completely agree with you. It's it's gonna it's gonna reshape. It's or I would say it's already reshaping 
um, you know, how we recruit, how we remunerate, and, and, and how we go about um, structuring Absolutely. our teams. Which is great news for, you know, for, I think for everybody really, that, that, you know, you don't have to be of a certain age to take advantage of AI. But I think it's also worth acknowledging a lot of people do get in their comfort zone and they're often in their comfort zone when they hit a certain age or when they've been in an industry or, or a job for a longer period of time. And my message really to a lot of those people that are, you know, whether they're, I've got friends of 35 who are still a little bit scared of this kind of technology, but equally anybody over 45, 50 who thinks, oh, this is going over my head. This is the domain of my kids, even my grandkids. It's not. You know, it's relatively easy to go and get a course for free on Coursera and you don't have to learn how to code, mm -hmm. but you do need to learn about these tools and technologies and how they're reshaping your world and, you know, join an organization or start an organization that's going to, you know, keep you up to date. Uh, what I would say is I, I'm always, and I say this to everyone now, whenever anyone asks, where should, where should I focus my time? I really wish I'd spent more time on maths at university. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I think about it, I'm like, why did I, why did I just breeze through that course and not pay attention? I just wish, I wish I'd really kind of buckled down because it's going to be, it's going to be so useful now for, for anyone going into this field in the future. I think you're right, but also I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, getting the kids coding. And mm -hmm. I think part of the problem at the moment, and I'm on an all-party parliamentary group looking at the adoption of AI and enterprise, and education is key to that because we've got to be educating in primary school, colleges, universities, kids, students with the right skills for tomorrow and in many instances we're not doing that you know somebody might come out of university with a marketing degree not even knowing depth all about digital let alone artificial intelligence so you know that's important too um, but I also know from the World Economic Forum they recently published the 10 top skills we're going to need and you know coding and the tech skills are not necessarily in there what they're saying is we need empathy, we need complex problem solving, we need emotional intelligence. We need the things that the AI won't have for quite a few years, if ever. No one knows if we're going to have general artificial intelligence. Most people believe it's coming in 25 to 50 years, but it might not happen. So, you know, until that time, until that machine can be sentient and can have true empathy and so on, we need to sort of supplement what we'll be getting from our AI, SaaS, software as a service and other related tools, you know, with the skills that, that, that we really need. So yes and no, you know, I think we've got to get people coding and have more and more incredible AI for this country to compete globally. But at the same time, the people that are going to be managing that and working with the AI need some of those other skills. So uh, you've made a couple of really important points I want to dive into there. So you, you mentioned you're on a parliamentary group and uh, on how artificial intelligence is being used in enterprise. Just for some of our listeners that may not be aware of all the different types of, of AI that, that are being used there, how would you break down and segment the different types of artificial intelligence being used today? Sure, yeah. So for me, and again, this is quoting some of the leading um, tech companies and analysts and so on, artificial intelligence is a family of technologies. And what we mean by artificial intelligence is the machine being able to exhibit um, traits and, and insights that are normally really related to, you know, to a human being. Um, so what we're talking about here is, is machine learning primarily. We're talking about 
um, narrow AI um, that might be linked to machine learning or even robotic process automation, um, natural language programming, those kinds of areas. And what that means is the um, AI is able to crunch huge amounts of data, turn that into insights. You teach the machine, you create algorithms, and you teach a machine to, like IBM Watson is one of the leading vendors you know, in this space, and it has the ability to crunch thousands of bits of data and make insights. So it can go and look at, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, cancer, cancers or different cancers and you know collate all of that data but equally another AI might be able to look at all of your customers um, competitors and look at the market and sort of drill down and serve you with incredible insights so we are talking um, not always chatbots or robots walking around the office but software embedded into programs that can help you with bias in human resources, with what's the best headline for your email marketing campaign and the predictive analytics that come from that. Things like that, that's really what we're talking about. It's important to understand that these elements, these artificial you know, things from chatbots all the way through to, I think Alexa is probably the most widely used version of artificial intelligence today if, if we're using that definition is these things are already there they're already in our homes they're already being applied they are you're absolutely right yeah i mean we don't always know that they are you know you upload an image to facebook and it says hi john maybe you should tag your friend katie you know without us even realizing and that that's a really important point because at the moment there is let's be honest there is an awful lot of hype um, and paranoia around AI. And if you look at the Gartner hype phase, it's in that peak of inflated expectation. And we've, we're two to five years away from it being at the real, what they call the plateau of productivity. And in the meantime, it's uncomfortable. And in my book, I um, refer to case studies of failures as well as successes. So for example, a bank in Switzerland, Saxo Bank, used chatbots and staff found it quite threatening and weren't able to understand what's in it for me. And clients, when they actually interacted with it, realised that it was quite limited and found it quite gimmicky. So, you know, you do have AI at the moment that is still quite early, you know, and that it is in that kind of early phase of... And that's an important point because we as a, as a kind of industry, as a you know, as the UK kind of, you know, and all countries, we need to have a different approach to um, success and failure. And we need to have laws that encourage that because otherwise bankruptcy laws and others are really outdated. So I think we need to do proofs of concept with AI to make sure it can work in our organisations. There's so much that I could dig into as well. So uh, where do I start? So the, the I completely agree. By, by the way, on success and failure, completely agree. Um, you know, we have, uh, and, and let's uh, let's come on to this topic in a moment because I know you break down the different geographies as, as part of your book. But in the UK here, we do have perhaps not the best attitude towards failing as a company. Uh, we've got some great R and D grants. Uh, it's wonderful to take advantage of those as a, as a small business and uh, as an agency as well that allow us to experiment. But we we do have this attitude of we have to succeed in everything we do. And you're exactly right. You, you know, you, some of this stuff we it, it's just as important to fail and learn from it as it definitely, is to um, as yeah. it is to succeed as well. 
yeah, which is yeah very very close to my heart as a as a as a probably older entrepreneur now as well. But the it, let's let's come on to the differences between some of the different countries. So in your in your book you talk about um, the, the difference between artificial intelligence in in Europe and North America and, and some of the different regions. Where do you see which region do you see as as the furthest ahead in this space at the moment? Without a doubt, China. Yeah, you know they have obviously a massive you know billion so people they have an incredible homogenous market let's not get too drawn into politics because that's a whole <laughs> different ball game um but you know they have turned things around and have the funds they have the they have the data you know with their social media platforms they have been collecting incredible amounts of data over the last years and that's the key so you know we've had four or five decades of what's been described as an AI winter mm -hmm. and the last 10 years of smartphone data have made AI viable today which is why we're now seeing all the venture capital money pumped in and China's really tapped into that because of its size because of its passion and maybe because of its politics as well that perhaps it's being forced upon perhaps is you know um yeah I heard a really interesting story there actually just to jump in I, I it was so of course we all know that every well maybe maybe our listeners don't know but in China a lot of business a lot of transactions are performed over WeChat. Um, yes. So I've not had the experience I've not had the pleasure of of experiencing this myself, but I'm I'm looking forward to it when I eventually do. Um, but it's now to the point that if you jaywalk, if you cross if uh, if you cross over a road when you're not supposed to, um, they will have cameras that recognise your face and then find you. Like right. like that that to me is it's kind of scary, but it's and they also I mean I'm sure we're without talking about going too much into it. There's a great Netflix series which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, uh, have probably been exposed to called Black Mirror, which talks about the uh, the the potential social impact of of those kind of services. But they are also trying. You know, the thing about China is they they do try these different technologies and they do and they and they do progress. And one thing about I, I can definitely say is they are incredibly agile. Um, they they are as you mentioned. Katie, they're not weighed down by um, some of the processes and some of the, I'm going to say some of the history that we have in mm. um, you know, Anglo-American companies that slow us down. They are able to, to, to move incredibly quickly at, at quite some pace. Sorry to take us off on a tangent no. there. No, no, you're absolutely right. We, WeChat is incredible and I'm um, at all the conferences globally I speak at in Singapore and Shanghai and Dubai. You know, I'm speaking and learning and meeting and collaborating with Chinese AI companies and they're amazing and this is the interesting thing and you know I'm British I'm very proud of it and I do believe in democracy however look what we have at the moment you know with Brexit look at what's happening in the States mm -hmm. and I've been in Dubai and they talk about a, um, a malevolent uh, meritocracy and in China you know you've got totalitarianism or you've got communism whatever you want to describe it however it's actually very capitalist mm -hmm. and you know there's thriving uh, business community there and ai i've met with a lot of business people and you know it's incredibly progressive and agile and all of the other descriptions you know that you just gave it so you know actually it's doing a really really good job of, of wanting to lead the world in ai um, and I can see why, you know, you've got Putin in Russia talking about he who leads in AI will lead tomorrow's arms race. 
So, you know, it's an incredibly powerful um, set of technologies for all kinds of reasons. And that's exciting and worrying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I mean, and it's not to forget that, that China also has the scale to be able to achieve some of this. But it's, uh, you know, I, it, it's incredible just how they how they apply it in 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 ways that probably are we, uh, us as Westerners find a little scary, um, but it, it it does you know it does move things forward as we said. So let's let's bring it back to be a, probably a little bit more practical now. So if you were, what would be the top three takeaways that you would give for uh, a, a business, let's say a B two B brand looking at applying artificial intelligence across their marketing? So the first thing I would say is. Decide what kind of company you are, what your ambitions are, what your business plan is. Don't get carried away in the jumping on the bandwagon, doing what everybody else is doing in a very tactical way. So have a business case, have a, a strategy, be really clear what you're trying to achieve. That's number one. Number two is get your house in order with regard to your data. You know, you really do need to decide Either you're going to do that internally or you're going to do that and then work with a, a partner who's going to help you with it. So you know, get the data right. Be clear what you want that data to do, what problem, what client centric problem you want that data to help you solve. And then the third, and we've touched on this already, is go and do some proofs of concept, go and do some experimentation, you know, do it, do your due diligence on the people you're going to work with or you're going to hire for this and do it small and learn from that and iterate so they would be my my three sort of top messages there uh, no and i absolutely agree with all three there i mean the artificial intelligence and this is the the message that 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 we go in with as well is it all starts with data and 80 you know 80 90 percent of machine learning is just getting that data in order and getting it in the right format ready ready for it to have a meaning to the algorithm or to the method or software as a service platform that you're using one brand i feel that's and i, I know that you interviewed them as part of the book so i'm incredibly jealous actually that that is going really far into this space is Ocado. Um, so here in the UK, it's a. It, how would we how would we describe Ocado? They are waitrose on wheels. No, they're they're not though. <laughs> That's the really clever thing. Like so, uh, I mean, how would you describe Ocado, Katie? Oh, firstly, gosh, I'm trying to remember how they describe themselves, but they are a tech company. They don't yeah. think of themselves as as a retailer. Yeah, I mean, they are they are like a tech brand, you know, and they are evolving so quickly you know they are an incredible brand and they are using ai across their warehouses for their delivery um and it's very very powerful i think they put the the others to shame they have a division i think called the 10x division which is all just around trying to use some trying to as we say iterate and succeed and fail um in some in some different directions so they they're certainly one of the few cases where Alexa is really meaning they're moving Alexa and and, and voice forward um, as they're allowing you to order your shopping on all your shopping through voice but something that sounds so simple like please pop to the supermarket and get some milk um, is incredibly complex when you put that in the context of artificial intelligence because it needs to know what milk and what size and and, and so on so it it's fascinating to see how they're trying to solve some of those problems. It is. In fact, they, they, they call themselves the largest pure play online grocery retailer in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. You know, they've got 1,300 engineers, you know, in one of their divisions. Um, you know, and it's just, it's a whole technology estate that they've they've been able to build. 
that includes robotics and AI and simulation and, uh, you know, spans that whole piece of automated warehouses, which, you know, is just incredibly powerful and forward, forward thinking. Yep. Yep. And I think I think they have a whole team just learning how to pick up a banana. I yes. think that's a, yeah, they're just just learning like picking up a banana is really difficult and he says in it you know he talks about the mindset and I, I refer to this in my book I've got a scorecard for success but um, he talks about you know having this mindset that's a culture and is much more Google in its approach than the average sort of high street retailer who still are struggling you know to catch up and many of them have even resisted you know, the, the e-commerce and the digitization, but this is the next wave. You know, digitization is a given. You need that for AI, mm -hmm. but many brands are still getting to grips with digitization itself. There are large brands out there and it takes a long time to steer that ship where we may say, well, this has been out, even technologies that have been out in, in this space for five, six, seven years are still being applied and are still really relevant. So we have to keep reflecting and understanding what works, what doesn't, um, and and making sure that we're constantly feeding that flywheel to, to, to keep things moving forward. I completely agree. I mean, the interesting thing is that the bigger companies with the legacy um, struggle, um, but they shouldn't need to. You know, they have the advantage of huge amounts of data. If they can mine that data properly, it's very powerful. You know, and if they don't adapt, they will seriously get left behind. Which industries would you say are further ahead of the curve here, and which ones, which ones? Are catching up good question i would say retail and banking are two sectors that have really started to use um chat assistance voice assistance you know through the web um really quite extensively and have some really good case studies of successes in that um we are beginning to see ai and have done maybe for the past year or so AI being used by law firms and other sort of professional wow. services firms. And in fact, there's a really interesting point there, which your listeners might find um, quite fascinating. I'm hearing from a number of sources now, credible sources, and it, it bears out in the book that AI could shape so that law, accountancy and insurance morph into one industry at some point in the future. And that is about AI's ability to do risk mitigation. I can believe that. Yep. Yeah, I can definitely believe so, that. So, you know, what, what that means, back to what we said at the beginning of the, of, the, um, of the podcast, John, is that, you know, lawyers, accountants, um, insurance brokers have AI doing a lot of that grunt work. So in a law firm, you've got AI now helping scan thousands of documents and picking out exceptions to an NDA which a newly qualified lawyer would have had to spend, you know, days and, and the, you know, the best part of weeks wading through. Again, boring, mundane. And therefore, these three types of industries and others can move up the food chain a bit and be a bit more strategic with their clients. And maybe all of us in the consulting space, you know, are going to be doing similar kinds of consulting because we've got AI tools mm -hmm. that can point to that legal risk or that financial risk or that opportunity for digital marketing. So all of us will be a bit more like management consultants advising our clients in, in their kind of wider 
uh, business growth or other kinds of, of plans. The the lawyer case is you're right is fascinating. It's similar in a similar kind of guise to your Watson example earlier, where you know now radiographers can can go through a lot more um, a lot more scans. They can go through them with a lot more confidence because they're being augmented with artificial intelligence. Um, you know, lawyers can do exactly the same thing and just and and be more confident in some of the decisions they're making. Definitely. I think also, though, going back, and again, let's be really honest and pragmatic about this, there's a lot of organisations who are using AI in the back office mm-hmm. for ops, and they yep. don't want to go to the market and tell the world what they're doing. It's it's secret, it's, com- it's competitive. And, you know, again, the hype tends to be that the kind of P- people that are really good at doing the PR about their AI may be the ones that have got a little bit less of it and the others are doing it behind the scenes a little bit more for the way they're managing their operations and don't necessarily want to market that. So again, we are still in quite an early phase where lots of sectors have got little pockets of it, you know, and some of it might be AI for marketing, some of it might be AI for human resources around bias and so on. But quite a lot of it is AI for ops. Yep, and and actually that that's a, that's exactly the point that I was I was thinking about next, which is I often think about our industry as as unsexy marketing. Um, you know, we are we are in B two B. We you know we're the stuff that's quite often happening behind the scenes before it goes to a consumer. Um, so what a lot of the products we're working on and the way we're applying AI and some of some of our own um, uh, technology products is is towards driving that efficiency and i think it's it's not that people don't talk about it because it's not it's not sexy it's not using alexa or it's not it's not doing something that changes the world but it's making their it's making everyone's lives a lot easier it's making everything a lot more efficient exactly. um, and it's helping to drive that business forward and i think you're exactly right a lot of companies those you know perhaps even those companies that are talking about it the most may even be doing it the least Completely. um so i think that's a really really interesting point and it's we're actually using a lot of that here. So, you know, to give you an example of where we're using artificial intelligence uh, on our side in, in one of our products. So we run um, essentially a, a marketing store for um, for small partners of, of vendors to, to come and execute marketing. Um, we found very, very early on that we burnt through an entire client's budget for a quarter in a month just with the admin time to get a partner on the phone. Um, because the the amount of back and forth that you would you'd would email them and say hey can you do this time and they'd say no I can't do this time anymore can you do this? and so you, you would literally spend we would spend hours just for a thirty minute to an hour phone call getting them booked on the phone so we that was one of the first tasks tasks we we addressed with um, with a project we have in, internally here which is to to optimize that process as much as possible. I actually call it the marketing Turing test, which is we want to get to a point where someone can market either through our platform or through one of our concierge agents and they receive the same level of service. Um, That's a big lofty goal. We're not going to get there for maybe five, 10 years. Um, I don't want necessarily want chatbots to be part of it, but we want to get to the point where actually marketing, you know, we have enough automation around those systems that it doesn't matter whether someone's executing it manually or someone or, or, or there's an algorithm deciding where to where to route those funds and where to apply apply that marketing. They're still getting the same level of service uh, uh, behind it, Absolutely. which is which is what drives us forward to be more efficient. Totally. And that efficiency is how a number of the big players and I think of BT, you know, they're using that to they use predictive analytics to say, OK, the weather 
change means <laughs> that the broadband lines are going to be down and we need X number of engineers to be ready to go out and repair. So although it's quite routine and it's, it's about efficiencies, um, ultimately it does impact the end customer because they can do it in a quicker time. It means downtime is saved. It's almost that personalised you know, care and service, which might actually start with something quite dull and operationally based. So, yeah. Totally. And I think that, that, that what you're referring to there is, is I think it was referred, essentially field service operations. Yes. Um, which is, uh, I find, and this is talking about it as a, as a larger agency here, I find absolutely fascinating because it's something that, it's another element that we're trying to apply across our studio, just because if you can call up British Gas or you can call up BT, as you mentioned, and they can tell you when they're going to have an engineer with you. But as, a, as an agency, we have to go back and schedule things and it takes us time to be able to do it. So I see a, a huge, as some of these technologies cross over the boundaries between industries um, and field service operations is, is certainly one of those. I see there being huge gains as as they're applied in new and interesting ways and combined in, in, in new and interesting ways. Um, so that's that's one way here as a business. We're actually, again, we're exploring and testing um, ways of trying to make our scheduling more automated. Um, so when a client says, oh, I've got a project and I need to get this in tomorrow, um, we can, the account manager can turn around with confidence and say it's in rather than say, I need to go back and check and come back and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you by the end of the day. Just, we see that as a differentiator to help us, help, help us move forward. But exactly as you said, it's, it's not so sexy that we're going to be shouting from the rooftops. Um, and in fact, it, it, you know, it's going to become part, if we do reach that goal, it'd become part of our uh, competitive edge that perhaps we do want to keep, keep behind the scenes. So I, perhaps when, I, when we think about it that way now, um, artificial intelligence in the enterprise may even be a bit of an iceberg. Mm, yes. um, you know, it may, be, it may be one of those elements where you only see the top element of, of, the, of what they're doing and what they're willing to talk about. But there could be, in each organization, there could be a huge amount of specialist knowledge and know-how and, and, uh, and technology being applied that we're just not aware of. I completely agree. And I think that's because it is a little bit early. But I think in time, we will see it in every job function in every industry all over the world. It's a question of time. It's ine- it is inevitable, without a doubt. What is the one technology or application or industry that you see as as the next, I'm not going to say big jump, but the next iteration or the next big case study or the next, you know, what's getting you excited about what's happening? What can Great happen next question. with AI? I think it's going to be a mix of a few different technologies coming together and fusing um, that makes things really exciting. So if you take a artificial intelligence and internet of things and combine that with um, augmented reality and virtual reality, that could be very, very Mm -hmm. exciting. So, you know, the high street is decimated, isn't it? And in order to Mm -hmm. regenerate and encourage people to get down to stores in their high street, we've got to have experiences. So I'm hoping that over the coming years, you'll see radically different stores that offer people incredible experiences jump into a completely different thing and think of future cities that are being built or cities that are being completely revamped with all of this kind of like new technology and again I just think it's it could be really really exciting you know you could have um, in education you know you could be sitting at home and have a Harvard professor you know, beamed into your study 
um, giving you personalized learning. So, you know, I think all these mixtures of, of holograms and augmented reality for education, for personalized education, I love the idea of AI being over the coming years, and it isn't going to be overnight, but maybe two to five years, really AI helping us with personalized healthcare. You know, that those sort of things for yep. me are game changing. You know, I don't necessarily want my home totally teched out, but I do quite like the idea of, <laughs> you know, of, I, we're so tech and yet I've got wires everywhere and I can't get, you know, um, a signal when I go on the train from Kent to London. You know, it would be nice to think 5G would bring some basic proper infrastructure so all of these incredible um, opportunities, you know, can be accessed properly. But, you know, just some of those wider things that I just talked about of augmented and, and in education and, and medical, uh, for me, are, are game-changing for life. It's interesting you mentioned home there. So um, the, the, my t the team here do love to uh, take take the mickey out of me it's a little bit about this but i've taken my and haven harry's laughing at me now um the i've taken my home probably to the next level so we have we it's not it's not crazy we just we have philips hue bulbs everywhere and the, the goal i set with our with um my wife and i was that we don't want to use any of the light switches mm -hmm. so all of our house is now automated the point it knows where we are and it turns it you know it turns the lights on and off based on the time of day and sunrise and sunset and so on and then i did take that up another level recently which is we, I've recently become a father, so he's he's yeah. coming up to the twelve month, twelve months. Uh, to, he's coming up to his his first birthday, um, and so we have a webcam that is processing internally on the network. It's not going anywhere anywhere externally, but it's processing whether he's in the cot or not, right. whether my son's in the cot or not, and then it decides what happens in the rest of the house based <laughs> on so whether he's cool. in the cot. So it turns the speakers down. It does. It does. It. It's. I've taken it a bit too far, mm. um, but one thing you know to to bring this back to the point about what what's what's really exciting for me about the future of artificial intelligence, it's about accessibility. You know, these libraries and, you know, they are becoming so um, simple and easy to start. You know, we have, I have quite a few of my team here just that aren't programmers learning Python now just because they're interested. Um, you know, just just last week, we're starting to use one of Facebook's libraries, which they they actually built, I think, believe to predict demand on their servers to start predicting demand on our servers. And we're able to take all of that user data that we have and say, right, this is our current growth. How does that change per month? How does that change per time of day? How does that change? And it's just that it. I, that's about six lines of code to get that started. So it's going to become easier and easier to pick to piece these elements together and to build something truly special. Um, and that that's what really really excites me. And it's when we can start up to apply that in marketing in in places like um, you know, in marketing automation platforms like Eloqua and Marketo um, that are going to make that 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 truly agree. fascinating. If, when, it, when, it, when AI can become, whether that's in your home or by your side in the workplace, you know, a, a proper assistant that can actually help you mm -hmm. and do so many things for you, you know, for me, that's a game changer. Look back, like, you know, I'm going back a long time now, but you know, being a new mum and working full time and doing everything, you know, it would just be so cool if AI can help you with so many different chores and around your home and free you up to do a lot of the more fun stuff and maybe in time and this is a bit of a um a bit utopic 
But, you know, maybe the AI <laughs> does create a period of slight underemployment and maybe AI eventually educates us yep. to not be defined by work and therefore we do start to have four-day weeks and, you know, we start to change the society in terms of why we work yep. and what we stand for as human beings. That is a bit big and a bit over a glass of wine perhaps kind of conversation <laughs> but i think that's quite important we evolve as human beings and we we become less like machines because the machines are helping us do those boring tasks i can't wait for that four-day week <laughs> can't come soon enough but you mentioned utopia there what's what is that other side we've talked about unemployment and so on but have you seen any examples of where ai has been used perhaps unethically i think the biggest problem at the moment is the lack of regulation and from somebody that spent 10 years regularly being pulled in by BBC TV and radio to comment on the latest um, digital media um, issue with regard to the police and, you know, all of the problems of, of legally managing social media. It's a minefield when it comes to AI. And, you know, you've got to operate within the existing laws of GDPR and there is an AI clause in GDPR. Um but without a doubt, you know, they're certainly not going to be out there publicly much yet, but there'll certainly be people behind the scenes who are using customers' data that they haven't consented to. What, one example I absolutely love here is, and I'm trying to find the actual government department because it's got a, it's got a wonderful name, but the was the case of Ryanair. Um, so I don't know if you've if you've seen this. I'm not going to say this is te this is AI. This is a much simpler version of artificial intelligence. But they've essentially been in in hot water again for splitting deliberately splitting up passengers on flights. Um, so if you have the same same surname, if you book as a family, uh, and it can detect you have the same surname, it will split you up in order to make you pay more to sit back together again. Wow, um, that's and very exploitative, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> so, but they've they've got a there's a it's the first case that's been referred to, and I'm trying to find the government department name, but it's got a it's got a brilliant name, which is like the 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 department for unethical use of data, essentially. Um, and it's it's the first case that's been referred there. So I think That's you're exactly really right. We yeah. start to see more of those cases where you know businesses will be misusing data or perhaps stretching the the, the ethical use of it slightly. In Ryanair's case, of course, here we've all been on one of their flights or we've all been on a on a flight and been split up. We know how frustrating that 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 can be. So it's it's fascinating that they're now reaching that point that um that we're having to, as you say, regulate it. So absolutely, and, and you know. We have in the UK the ICO, which is the Information Commissioner's Office, which is that independent body that's supposed to be, you know, promoting the openness and protecting the data privacy and so on. So, but, you know, I'll be honest, it is early days with a lot of this. And um, even, you know, task forces like the one I'm on, you know, it's about briefing parliamentarians, helping to get this structured. But I think it needs to happen quicker and it needs to happen in, for example, industry bodies, whether that's the British Retail Consortium or, you know, a body related to accountants or whatever it might be, the Law Society. It needs to be at the ground level as well. And companies like us and agents and advisors like us need to be part of that. Let's not leave it to the big, you know, to the politicians to decide what this looks like. I, th I think, and that's a really good point, um, It was, it, it, which, is, which is that the industries themselves are better... Are better to regulate this because they're the subject matter experts in this case than than, than the government um rather than big governments but also we need to we need to find the right balance of not making 
not making this difficult to implement. That's going to become a barrier yes. to, our, to us, to our agility. I have and, just and found also, it. Also, we need the right balance of innovation, not stifling innovation whilst protecting people's privacy. Because if we, if we get too, uh, if we enforce too much and block, we are never going to pe- compete, you know, with China, with America. Um, you know, that's really important. Completely agree. And I've, I've, I've found the department that's the Center for Data Ethics and Innovation. Ah, yes, that's, got, that's quite a new, new department, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. which is it's the first case they're looking at, which is, but I just find that absolutely fascinating. Um, so, no, it, it, it com- completely agree. And I think it is um, it, it, getting that balance between industry regulation and, and essentially you know, government or country regulation is, is, is going to be one of the key challenges over the next few years. But it's certainly an exciting time. I think it's the best. I've been in marketing for 30 years and this is the most exciting time to be in it. And probably for everybody, whatever age, the, the most opportunistic time as well. So, yeah, people are in a good good place. And it doesn't take much to switch and go, OK, forget, put the fear aside, go and read the book, go and on the course, go to, you know, to your gatherings and all the things you do let kind of keep up to speed and we're all learning all the time definitely it's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you today and and, and, to, and to go through this and definitely looking forward to, to hearing you hearing from you more in the future thank you john it's been a real pleasure as you say i think it's a very exciting time we're like scientists now as marketing professionals and uh, yeah go out there and, and seize the day <laughs>